All right, everybody, we're back. This is episode number 33. We had a short debate before we started about what number this is, but we've arrived at 33. Absolutely. Uh, I'm Drew Hassan. I'm Daniel Anderson. We are the Recovery Lab. Um, We're joined today by Sarah. Thank you for taking the time out. Uh, Look, the general introductory spiel is the same. If you know of something that would be of benefit to people in recovery, please comment it, post it. I again saw the other day where you can get free Narcan, no questions asked, at the Pines in Columbus. I'm sure Mr. Moore's bike shop in Hattiesburg has some too. Uh, Not that where to get Narcan is the only thing of benefit, but that's my typical example that I give at the beginning of each episode because it is pretty helpful. Uh, So look, support us. We have uh, T-shirts for sale. You can go to our website, Recovery Lab LLC. I'm wearing one. Daniel's wearing one. When I put it on this morning, uh, my wife was nicer to me, <laughs> and uh, my credit score did go up. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's you, it's absolutely you, true. If you want to support us, please do. My kids, mine's better when I wear it. <laughs> All the benefits are it's tenfold. There you go. You can't even imagine how much better your life is. Yeah, there you go. We also have some hoodies, and uh, we have a Patreon account you can subscribe to uh, and support us, and we appreciate your support. Thank you. All right, I'm going to turn it over to Daniel All right. since he and Sarah are All right. friends. Here we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, boy, do we have a treat today. And Sarah, thank you so much for coming. And I know you're a busy lady. You've got a lot going on. And the, the fact that you took some time out to come and talk with us means the world to Drew and I both. And so um, thank you for that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, this right here is Sarah. Now, when I first started going to uh, recovery meetings, um, I um, there was one thing that I noticed, and that was that um, everyone in the meeting um, cared a tremendous amount about this young lady. Um, not only that, but um, they looked up to her. They um, asked for um, they they just they just looked up to you and and loved you unconditionally, and that was. For me, something that newly back in, um, I, I really, really appreciated, and it was such an uplifting thing to uh, get to see how incredibly, um, just <coughs> in, incredibly kind <coughs> and compassionate you are about your recovery. So what I would like to do, if you're game, is spend maybe – 25 to 35 to 40 minutes talking a little bit about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And the goal is to plant seeds, and maybe somebody someday uh, will hear something that you say, and they'll be inspired, and they'll uh, maybe maybe choose to do something a little bit different with their life. So without further ado, Sarah, please take the floor. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Um, since you told me about this podcast, I've just really believed in the mission of it to reach people. And I, um, I, I worry a lot about people that don't even know recovery is an option. I, I, I mean, I want to say I worry about it more than I really do because I, I am so fortunate to have freedom today from addiction um, and a solution to the new addictions that come up, like workaholism and shopping and just anything that will make me feel better. Um, And I know that there are people out there that 
first of all, don't know that there's another way out. Second, don't have the resources. Um, third, never get through long enough to have the freedom that I'm currently experiencing. Right. And um, so I'm, I'm glad that you guys are doing this. I love that you're passionate about it. I am too. I started out um, pretty much a wreck as a kid. I was just not, you know, I was not a easy child to parent. I was not an, an easy sister to get along with. Um, I pretty much gave my parents a run for their money. I'm very shocked they had another kid after me because it was <laughs> so bad. Um, so is it just you? So it's you and how many siblings do you have? I've got one younger brother. Okay, cool. Yes, he's three years younger than me. Awesome. Um, I'm 24, he's 21, and I I don't think that alcoholism was something that attacked me at a certain age. I think I just always had it. Um, it's funny now because I talk to my aunt and my mother, and they will tell me stories about how I used to steal sugar packets as a kid and take them home and put them in my purse oh, and just, like, like down them. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just down them. Because I love sugar. And, you know, for a kid, right. that's like a high itself. Absolutely. And I used to, instead of wanting, you know, sweet tea or um, lemonade at a restaurant, I would put all the sugar packets, like about half in a cup, and then fill the rest with water. So, Or I'd get a water and drink the rest and then just I'd make sugar rot water. That was the best drink ever. <laughs> it was like my cocktail as sure. a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and... With that, there were other things that were very apparent to my parents and family that I was—I had severe anger issues. I would have outbursts about things when I didn't get my way. And you can always say this is just a phase of life a person's going through. It's something they're going to grow out of, you know, the toddler tantrums, all of that. But mine were, were very intense, and um, I, I just I could not believe that I, I wasn't getting my way. Is that what the is that what the root of that was the the temper tantrums and or was that just something that what what was the root of that anger have you ever been able to identify what that was or was it just something that you just had inside of you there was no cause for it anything it was just you were that you were that child you know what I, I mean? was I was selfish yeah. I was very selfish and I thought that everything you know should be catered to me I was very spoiled as well. Um, and my, my parents are very conservative. They're very, you know, compassionate, kind. I, I was able to talk my way out of getting spankings. I'd never been really grounded for very long. I've never been sent to my room, and it lasted very long. Because I think at a certain point, my parents were just exhausted. You know, you, you can, and my father, bless him, he would buy, um, every, every time we'd have an argument, he would go to the library and get a new parenting book. So I just saw this stack of parenting books. Just I had a flashback when you said that because <laughs> yeah. I just knew you were going to say, I haven't thought about this in a million years. We had these books that would teach you some life lesson. Mm -hmm. And I can remember, oh, there was a book about, and they were white. And one was about George Washington never telling a lie, which is a lie. I mean, come on. And 
I thought you were going to say he would go to the library and get one of these books and make me read it like you. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. He no. was trying to fix himself. He was trying to fix himself. Um, he was insightful enough to know that there was something wrong with him, too. We now know that um, addiction affects the whole family. So that part he got right. Um, but I just, I, I never was really calm. I didn't experience calmness. I would look around at other people in the high school who were really focused in on their studies and really, you know, just easygoing, and I always had an issue with something, somebody, something. Um, and finally... It's like I you're getting off on being a contrarian. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I, you know, that, that anger fueled me a lot. Um, and then there'd be moments where I was super, super happy and, you know, really excited to be around people and all of that. But I just don't think that my parents really knew what to do with me right. at a lot of moments. And they did so well. Looking back, I just, they did so well trying well, to help me. The, the mere fact that, s speaking to the fact that your dad would go to the library and get books about how to... Being a parent does not come with any sort of instruction. No. It's so no. hard, and I made so it still make mistakes on a regular mm -hmm. basis. So, But what that tells me is your dad cared so much about you and your well-being that he was willing to do this, this stuff that many, many fathers would never even dream of, but go in and get a book mm -hmm. to try to better himself, to try to help you as much as possible. And that is not... That that doesn't always happen. So yes. that is an incredible, yes. incredible thing that he did. Let's be very clear about that because that tells yeah. you right there that you, your father absolutely loved you unconditionally and was willing to do anything that he possibly could in order to make you happy and, and provide for you from what it sounds like. So Absolutely. And, and that's, I mean, something I resented. Why are you following me? Why are you tracking me? Why do you care? Why can't you leave me alone? Why can't you let me be my own person? I, I would fight just for my freedom, not knowing he was doing all these things out of love. Right. Because as a teen, I mean, the, the, that was out of my head completely. The idea that my parents were on the same team as me was foreign. Right. There's yeah, it's, no it's way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No way you're doing. You're you're trying to it's make my life worse. When you're a teenager. Right. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Dictatorship. Right. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> you know what? You don't know me. Right. You don't know who I, what I can do. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I just had a battle with my parents for 17, 18 years, and um, at 13, my dad is an older fella, and he throughout his life, he also hoards just a little. <laughs> he yeah. hoards this, one of those things that he hoards is his medication. So anytime he had a surgery or anything, he would um, just have, he just had all of his medicine stocked, everything was labeled, still in the bottles. And I got a bright idea out of nowhere to at 13 maybe go into his medicine cabinet while everyone was asleep and I remember sitting on the floor in the bathroom, pulled out all of his medication. I locked the doors, and I had a phone or an iPad or something, and I was looking up, does blank make you high? Oh, and wow. I would read it, and just, does blank make you high? And if it said yes, I put it in my pocket. If it said no, I put it back. And I knew he never would notice, so <coughs> I um, stocked up all that medication, and I just started experimenting in my room. 
And then I got another bright idea one day that I should go and into their cabinet and drink. Because I knew where the alcohol was. I didn't know very much about alcohol. I just knew that it made people happier. And I, I knew that it was going to make me happier. Right. It was the most important thing. And I had a friend come over. And this was 13, 14, somewhere around that age. And I had told him, let's go get something light. Let, let's drink. Let's <laughs> do it. Let's drink. There's, drink. There's, you know, alcohol in there. And my parents are at an event. And this was at the age where they let me be at home yeah, alone. Right, I don't mean to yeah. scare anybody listening either, parents. No, no. Not, every ki- not every child is like I was. <laughs> um, but but I, I would, um, that night, I remember I got totally fake, fake drunk. Because I probably just had a few sips, but it was like the, you know, what do they call that when you... It's Malingering. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I was thinking something else, but malingering, sure, yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, but I had a few sips of it, and then I'm just like, days out of my mind, like I'm flipping my body around. This is amazing. This is just how do you loose. feel? Letting yeah, yeah. loose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, that night changed me forever. That night, I I was I was hooked on it, on that feeling, in the adrenaline of lying, the adrenaline of getting up the next morning and going to church with my parents, pretending like I didn't do it, yeah. you know, letting them come home and see me and her just hanging out in the bedroom, normal teen stuff, that that was thrilling to me because it, it was like a living on the wild side, living on the wild side. I got away with it finally. You know, I can, I can do this. I right, can, right, right. I just, I would Opens look the at their, it opened the door to me being able to live as an actress, you know? Which is so incredibly common with yes. folks like us. Uh, yes. You get really good at it, man. Really good at it. And I later on began to feel like this is a gift. This is a gift that I can look at my father in the eyes and I can make myself cry. And I can really have waterworks come down and I can tell him that I would never do something like that. And I hate that you're blaming me for this. You know, I hate that you don't trust me. It's sad for me. Like, that was incredible. And I, I just, after those moments of, of getting caught and then cleaning it up and getting caught and cleaning it up and cleaning, you know, I just, I remember smiling a little bit inside. Wow. Like, yeah, I'm doing something really cool. That's loser mentality. I mean, right, no, come no. on. Look, you're amongst friends here. You we, know, like, we get it. But, like, yeah, you guys understand, yeah, and yeah, we can yeah. step back and say that is insanity. You know, I've got other kids my age that are getting into college and got an A, and they're like, oh, I did it. I right, made right. it. Right. And I'm like. It's completely different. I got, yeah. I got away with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah amazing. I want to step back a little bit. Um, before I ever – drank or did any drugs I used to self-harm a lot and I remember um, I don't know exactly where I got the idea probably TV or something and then it was just in my head that that's an option like putting 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 was my thing Um, and I started it after I had just a one of those moments where I just wanted to, you know, end it, but not really. I just really couldn't stand myself. Um, I did it in my room. I found something, and and, um, there's a relief to that that I 
don't think is is easy to communicate to people that don't understand it. There's just something addictive about hurting myself. What I've what I've heard and come to understand is, and this may be completely not true for you, but um, generally, uh, as a rule of thumb, individuals that cut, um, there's lots of aspects of their life that is completely out of control, and being able to cut and and control how you feel is is something that's super desirable to a lot of folks. So that's, there, I've, I've had some friends that have talked with me about that, and for them it was control, like Absolutely. being able to control something that's otherwise out of control, which is our lives when we're in active addiction. Absolutely, uh, yes. Yeah. I, yes, and that that's such a big aspect of it, and I have come to understand now working with other kids that we all have different reasons for it. Um, and, I mean, you can't really bring reason to an unreasonable thing, like right. drinking yourself to death is an unreasonable thing. It's hard to, to really put any meaning behind that other than alcoholism. Same with cutting. You know, it could be a mix of different things. I think um, wanting to feel better is a reason that I did it. Wanting more control, wanting to punish myself for things that I did. I. So there's a measure of self-loathing. Self-loathing, absolutely, yes. I, I, um, I would be at school, and I mean, I'm, I'm good being an, you know, an actress at this time. This is my era, (laughs) acting and being happy in school for the most part, and hanging out with friends. And I'd say something stupid, or someone would pick on me, or, and, and by pick on me, I just mean like joke with me. But I, I brought meaning to that because I already hated myself. So if it was something silly they said, it still mattered inside, and. I remember, like, I would use those things that have happened, those things I believed about myself, to punish myself for being that. And when I'd wake up in the morning and feel pain from what I'd done the night before, that was like, uh, it meant to be, for me, a reminder to to be better. It was almost like a motivation for me. Um but there's several re- reasons I, I believe that people hurt themselves. And um, I'm, I'm very passionate about helping people that self-harm because it's just such a, a niche thing, in my opinion. It, I mean, you look at someone, you're like, why would you hurt yourself? Why? Right. And, and the parents. When my mother found razors and saw my body, like it broke her. And she didn't really understand why her daughter would do that to herself. And then it becomes, what have I done to make her do this to herself? To make her feel like this is the only reason. Um, that this is the only way, I mean. you know. Even and with the best of education and being involved in support groups and peer groups and um, you know, for, for those who have loved ones affected by such things, it's impossible to not take that on as I am bad, I did bad, Absolutely. where did I mess up? So it's got to be unbelievably difficult. To Absolutely, to yes. It, you know. Yeah, of course. And it really angered me um, that she was so affected by it. Again, I did not see the harm I had done. I didn't understand why she would care because that that felt 
like the only thing I can do that only affects me. I'm cutting me, not you. Right. So why would you care? This is not how I feel. <laughs> this is how I felt. Um, I, I didn't understand that. You know, I. I no child can effectively understand the amount their parents Never. love and have invested in them until you you have children of your own. Absolutely. Right. I don't think <coughs> I don't think you can appreciate. Ordinarily, don't hop into somebody's story to interrupt to the extent that please, I'm about please, to. Please, please, yes. So, the cutting thing. Do you find since you've gotten sober? that the impulse to cut or be self-injurious is lessened and do you at times romanticize self-injurious behavior or using to cope with you know I don't care what anybody alcoholic says it's in recovery Mm -hmm. it's going to cross your mind on occasion do you do you, are the triggers the same? In a way, for me, That's yes. That's a better way of saying it. Are the triggers the same? Yeah, that is a really good question. It, it is. I, I would say that it's the same now that I'm thinking about it. Um, I didn't kick self-harming until I was two years into sobriety. You took so it along with you? Yeah, I did. Okay. Oh, yes. I mean, I, I, when did, I, did the rate of self-injurious action increase when the usage of mood-altering substances decreased. It decreased for it me. Decrease. Okay. I'm going to keep adding. I'll, I won't keep adding the word for me, but for those of you and, and you guys as well, I, I'm just saying this is for me. Everyone's different. But um, when I got sober in rehab, I went out of my way. I found razors. I did it in rehab. And then um, when I was out of rehab, I was still doing it. It was not as much as before because it used to be a nightly thing for me. And um, in my case, it was light and multiple so that it would heal. I would put even Neosporin on it so that I could, you know, do it again. Um, You know, it was a little different, but um, I was trying to control it. That's like that unmanageable, trying to control the way that I behave, the way that um, I go out of control sometimes it was it was difficult but once I started it was hard to stop do you mind if I ask you a couple questions about this and I don't want to trigger you in some way that makes this good today okay yep I'm good so when somebody we can speak generically Mm -hmm. about people in general that are self-injurious so you said light and multiple so you just mean not very deep lacerations purposefully not deep yes and did you, did you ever go deeper than you anticipated yes. you, did the length of the is there a is there a, a high you get from the leading up to it like yes. it is with people I, mean, I know what it's like to shoot up and there's mm-hmm. a certain there's a certain allure to the spoon and the, the, the lighter and you know the syringe and all that is is the same for people that that engage in that sort of behavior. Yes, yes. And I, I went to a um, conference, a recovery conference, at one point, and we played this game that was like um, 
basically just relating to people. You stand up if you relate to something. And I said, um, you know, stand up if you have ever had a cutting kit. Like a kit with the razors, with everything that you needed, just like shooting up, having all of your stuff in one place. It was your like gear. that. My yeah. gear. Yes. And it, it was triggering to see photos of cutting or, you know, any any indication that a person was cutting themselves after I tried to stop. That was, it was like seeing alcohol um, in movies. You know, right. there's a lot of scenes like that. And, I mean, my whole thing with the light and multiple was that I was, I was trying to give myself a chance later if I, you know, wanted, wanted to hide it. Like, I don't have really many that are visible. Like, you whip that phrase out like I thought maybe it meant more to you. Oh, yes. Like, like, like I'm a light and multiple or I'm a. I'm and a I don't know that it was to other people. Um, I, mean I didn't know if that was part of the the rhetoric of that recovery oh, community. Yeah, like yeah, no. I, I'm Sarah. I'm a light and multiple. I'm a light and multiple. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. I don't think so. Well, it's important. Something that's jumping out in my heart also, and that I feel like I have to say is how incredibly important it is that you were sober for two years from root altering substances mm-hmm. uh, until you were able to address that issue. And I think what what's important to be heard with that is once you remove the drugs and alcohol life doesn't automatically become amazing and you're still going to have to deal with with life's problems so to our listener to our viewer um, if, if you're newly sober or thinking about getting sober please don't beat yourself up because you don't have all your ducks in a row immediately once the first day that you are sober it takes time life happens and don't beat yourself up if you go on for an extended period of time still engaging in a certain behavior. At the end of the day, if you have abstained from drugs and alcohol, that was a win. So let's take that as a win. Let's go on tomorrow. Let's try to do better tomorrow. But don't beat yourself up because you engaged in unhealthy behavior that, that you did when you were in, you know, in active addiction. So the fact that you know you were open and honest enough to say that you, it took two years of being sober from the other things to uh, in, in order to, to kind of get in front of the self-harm thing, I think is a very important point for, for people to, to understand. And, um, you know, once the removing the drugs and alcohol is but the beginning of the, of the solution, you know, you got to do that, but you've got to be kind to yourself. And when we beat up on ourselves, I'll speak for myself. When I beat up on myself, if I were in that situation, well, I'm sober, but, you know, I still acted out in this behavior. And my first, my first thought is to beat the crap out of myself. And you know, that's just my, you know, that that can turn into a horrible, horrible thing. So it's important to to practice self love and be understanding with yourself. That just give yourself some time. If you don't engage in these, you know, drugs and alcohol today, that's a win. It's a huge win. It's a massive win. We'll deal with these problems tomorrow as they come. So. Thank you for saying that. I think that was an incredibly important thing to mention, and I don't want to belabor, belabor the, the the point of you know the self harm, and certainly don't want to trigger you in any way, shape, or form. But I think that it's important that um, our listeners can understand the severity of, of what self harm can be like, what that looks like, and I'm sure that that comes, and it, it doesn't, Mike. It comes in all sorts of 
different shapes and sizes, cutting, whether it be bulimia, uh, anorexia, wh whatever the case may be, you know, there's all sorts of, of, of self-harm things. So I don't want to trigger you, like I said, but I'm, I'm super grateful, and I know that the listener is going to be grateful, you being open and honest about that, because that's something that is not always talked about. That's something that is on the dark side and is something that, you know, most people might turn their head up if, if you, you know, you go into a room and say, hey, you know, I, I, I engaged in self-harm. There's, there's many, many places where you will be judged and shunned. So it's important, I feel, to, to really talk about this. So again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for talking about that because it's something very important, I feel. I feel like it's important, too. Um, and, I mean, meeting with people now, meeting with families, I – I feel today really drawn to talk t for the parents, or not talk for, but speak to, um, because lately I've just been talking to a lot of parents of kids that are were like me, are like me, um, and it's very difficult to understand, and it was for me for a very long time, that the way out is, is not out. It's just up, you know, it's not that I have to do every single thing and remove myself from all, you know, all the adrenaline to act out, drink, cut, you know, smoke, any of it. Um, it's it's not out ever for me, and that I still on a daily basis have to remember. I want to pretend like I'm not an alcoholic just because I get busy sometimes. I want to pretend like I don't have self harm tendencies. Um, just because life is good and I'm so far removed from that, but I'm, I'm never fully removed. Right. And I, when I first started out, was doing all the things, thinking, okay, if I pray, if I meditate, if I do gratitude list, if I, you know, call someone and help them every single day, I'm going to be safe. Like, this is going to take it every day. I'm going to do it. And I couldn't. You know, I'm human. I, I couldn't do it, but I, over time, was growing in all these different areas. I just can't grow in every area at once all the time. Um, and the spiritual growth part is what I now rely on. Uh, it's not that I am, you know, going to not do anything ever again. It's just that I, I'm growing through it all. And I'm, you know, it's like I still had eating disorder habits um, after I still – that, that ended probably two, two and a half years into my recovery, and I was cutting two years into my recovery. Um, I mean, if yelling at your brother is an addiction, I was not sober from that, <laughs> you know, like right. lashing out, not being a good daughter, um, not sober from that either. It was just I s started on what was killing me first, and that was drinking and drugs. Right. Um, and then everything else, because I was growing, just started to fade away. And I, I don't, I loved the question, and I, I'm sorry I didn't get to it. I'll get to it now, that question of, um, is it tri triggering just the same? And that addiction to self-harming has faded just like the addiction to drinking and alcoholic, and drinking and drugging, um, just the exact same. 
you know, I can see things. I can talk about it very candidly. I can talk to somebody that's doing it currently. They can go into detail if they want, and I am, I'm not affected. I'm not saying I won't be affected next week if I don't do what I need right. to do for myself, but it's the same in that respect. Um, and I think really with the cutting also, I – just I, I thought that I was you know just doing it I think I just want to reiterate I thought I was just doing it to myself but then I realized how much it was affecting my family my friends like the lying had to increase um, you know I ha couldn't do certain things just like drinking I, I couldn't change I was doing ballet at the time and I couldn't you know change with everybody else in the locker room um, I had to wear sweaters at some points, like when it was not cold outside. And I think it's really important that I say I had no intentions of killing myself at this time. I had no thoughts of killing myself. I, I didn't want to live, but I didn't want to die either. Right. And I think that's one of the misconceptions that confuses parents, friends of loved ones um, that are self-harming is that, okay, the next step is they're going to die not always the case I did not want to die I just I didn't want to be in relief. my body I wanted relief yes so <laughs> awesome well thank you again for that that's absolutely incredible let's let's move on let's talk yeah. about what happened next so you've um, we're, we're we have dealt with the, um, the self-harm aspect of it so what was life like outside of that and, and beyond that and how did you finally come to the the final realization that I got to do something different and where did that willingness come from and how did you get willing to do that and so things like that yeah so yeah the re recovering part of it right, <laughs> right, right, right. I think we're halfway we're through ready yeah, to we've, get we've sober now yes yeah, yeah so what happened so I uh at the time towards the very end and I was 17 in the middle of my senior year of high school a daily you know glimpse of my existence was I would have an alarm on my phone that would wake me up 10 minutes before my feet had to hit the floor I would take a pill so that I was high before I had to wake up um, I would smoke on the way to school smoke pot on the way to school I would take another pill in the morning I would then take my, try to take my lunch break outside if I could sneak out and smoke again. Then I would take another pill. I would go lifeguard children, um, which was horrible. And then I would be going home and I would be um, drinking until I passed out. And that was my life for a long time. And finally, I hurt someone who never deserved to be hurt and I had that moment of clarity was so rude about it I was so um, hurtful and I made it all about me basically and um, after that I remember I just I, I didn't even care I was pretty much like pretty much making it about myself again. I got mad that they went to the grocery store or something without me and just completely 
left him aside and didn't um, care that I had hurt him. And after sobering up a little bit, I realized, okay, I'm, I've finally done it. Like, he didn't deserve anything. I have no rational excuse. And so that was the first time that I started to feel like I might have a problem, even after all this time of not admitting that I had a problem, of fighting my way out of everything. Um, I finally was like, okay, I'm like, there's something really, really wrong with me now, and I just need to go breathe. So I told my parents that I'm ready to go breathe somewhere. And my dad's first reaction to me going to rehab possibly was, are you sure? Because I had convinced him in a prior event that I can't go to rehab. You know, he's like crying. I can't. They're going to teach me how to do heroin. Like, this is, you know, this is so bad. And I'm not even doing that bad. Daddy, like, I'm doing pills. I'm just drinking a little bit. It's not that bad. And so he was actually scared for me to go. Um, I did not go in thinking that I would never drink or do drugs again. I thought I was just going to go on a retreat and kind of rest up. I thought I had this idea that if everything flushed out of my system, I could do it again differently. Like that was the. You're not the first person <laughs> yeah. to think that. Yeah. I didn't think I was. You but didn't invent that cure. No. <laughs> but I, I remember getting there and I, w- I was 17, so I went to an adolescent rehab and it was wild absolutely wild there were i mean you know 14 year old kids in there coming off of heroin there's you know 16 year olds that look at the trees and the trees are waving and and they're never going to change their minds are like that forever i said i remember asking that girl are you you know is this going to go away and she said i think they said it's forever okay um wow and she had one too many mushrooms and too many mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, yes, exa- that was exactly it for her. Um, there were some things that happened that I will never forget. Two of the girls and one guy decided that they were going to leave rehab. They were going to run away. And I just almost felt like a bystander in all this because, of course, I'm thinking my life sucks, but I'm looking at them like, y'all are so insane. I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. Like, y'all are tripping out over nothing, you know? And and they ran away, and unfortunately, they, well, fortunately for them at the time, they found what they wanted. They did crack. And unfortunately, one of them was sexually abused and sent, finally, they were found and sent back to the rehab, and that girl was just, it was never the same. She has um, since passed away, and... The other girl, I, I don't know where she is either, or the guy, but I remember that was just like, I she was on the couch, and we were having a sit-down, and she was saying, I, I just want to go again. I just want to go out again. I'm going to run away again. And um, again, I'm looking at her like, you're insane. Like, what's making you do this? I don't understand. Um And I had a therapy session after that, talking to my therapist, and I was telling her, I need to get out of here. I I don't know what the mix-up is, but I'm not like them. They're all different. Like, this is – I'm not relating to anybody. And and she was like, you look just like him. 
looking at you now. I've listened to you for weeks. You are just like them. And I went into a very dramatic hyperventilating fit. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not, there's no way. And she was so strong on me. She was just sitting there and she was like, you are, you absolutely are. You're just like them. You're an alcoholic. Try to say it. And I think I needed that at the time. I needed someone strong-willed because I didn't know discipline. I only knew how to get out of <coughs> discipline and avoid it. Um, and I felt like I was screwed from then on. I had some really good examples of what recovery looked like. We had texts is what they call them. And there were 20-somethings running around, like, happy <laughs> and had seemingly a fun life. They were sober. They said they were just like me. Um, they were the kind of people that were just around on the outskirts, not running group or anything, but just hanging out. I could have one-on-one -on -one conversations with them. And um, I got a little bit excited about, okay, I think I can live a different life. I think I don't have to you know, hate myself forever. I don't think I have to ruin out everything that I touch. And when we got to spirituality, that's what I flatlined. <laughs> okay, great. So you guys are going to make me so excited about this. And now you're going to say that I have to have God, and I don't have God, so I'm screwed. And that was another it was just straight down, like, okay, it's not for me. This is not for me at all then. And I'd, I'd, I'm so grateful for one-on-one -on -one conversations. I think going to big groups, listening to tapes, all of those things are great. I just know for me that talking to somebody about a specific thing I'm going through and listening to their experience is what's kept me sober. This woman sat me down and she started to explain this God idea, that it doesn't have to be as big as I have seen it be. It doesn't have to be the same God that my parents have or my neighbors or my friends or people at church. It can be different. It can be a different touch of, of something greater than me. It could be a flower. And so I started with a flower and went from there. And it grew into the universe. And then it grew into an ecosystem. And then I started thinking, hmm, homo sociis is cool. Like things go up and down and like it evens out eventually and I um I, I I hit a pink cloud. I was very excited about life and everything. I'm I'm very grateful that people told me what to do as soon as I get out because I did those things and I um you know from there have been told that service is everything, getting out of my head is everything and showing up when I don't want to is important as well. Um, I got as involved as possible in recovery communities and started meeting other people that were just like me, and there was just an excitement to meeting them. And there still is, but there's nothing like that, you know, right. first first year sober yeah. coming in, just pumped, like, who are you to the <laughs> new, who are you, what is your name? Yo, I'll make you a bracelet. I used to make bracelets to <laughs> these communities and I would like hand them out to people I'm like if you come back and stay sober you can bring it back like I'll, then I'll be done with it so you can come back I was just on cloud nine um, what was really difficult was bringing all of those principles outside of just my groups I I mean I'd be like in 
in these meetings, like talking to people and making, you know, telling them where the coffee is and there's the bathroom and do you want a women's list? Like we can get you a bunch of contacts and we have a lot of fun and we're just being so nice and then I go home and hit my brother in the face. <laughs> and then I'm like, no mom, screw you, you know, I'm like not doing these things outside of the meetings and I that I started having to look at that big time because it, it doesn't work just doing it in one place. But that's where I grew first. That was like the area of my life where I was in with God and then God had to come into my family life. And that was really hard. I think it's really, really hard for everyone. Um, I haven't met anyone yet that has just the best relationship with their family after being in addiction for so long. I mean, I, if y'all exist, love you too. Yeah, addiction puts a tremendous <laughs> strain on families. Yes. Tremendous strain. Tremendous. Well, and something's, something's going to give when we're living that kind of duplicitous life. Because mm-hmm. right? at the end of the day, it's just really being phony. Yes, but. <laughs> there ain't no but. There it's is but. Funny. It's, it's uh, this funny. Is a, this is, we, are, we are all about progress, not perfection. Mere fact that instead of just being a complete ass to everyone, now you're half an ass. You're only an ass to your family, but very cool in this other realm. And then it, it's that's progress. But that's if we don't, progress. if you don't ever recognize that you're living this inauthentic and disingenuous life, then I mean, I'm not saying yeah, you're, gonna, you're gonna relapse because you're ugly to your family but you're not ugly to your friends i'm just saying you're going to relapse because you're being the kind of person that is yeah absolutely but i what i'm doing is i'm recognizing that there was progress made there and it didn't last the 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 way that you were when you were acting crazy with your family did not last so there was obviously some self-seeking some self-growth uh some realizations some realizations that hey um this is not going to fly. This is not healthy for me. This is not beneficial to me or anyone I'm around. And with that realization that, oh, hey, I need to take some take some serious action to try to you know, figure out exactly why I'm like this and, and fix that. So where did that realization come? Where, what was that point where you were like, hey, I also need to change this aspect of my life as well and work on that aspect? How did that happen? Not me. Mentorship. True. Someone else. Yeah telling me I didn't see that somebody pointed out to you yes I, I needed I needed someone to tell me what shoes to wear like I, I didn't know what to do about anything um, but I think it's so funny like how I would be sitting there trying to meditate because my mentor told me to meditate and then it's so hard it is. It is so hard. It is so hard. And it, in this scenario, my brother was playing the Xbox in the other room, and I, like, come out and start cussing him out. I'm yeah, like, I'm like, trying look, to be a better person. Turn that person. Mario Kart down. I'm trying to get my guided yeah. meditation on. <laughs> yes. I'm like, get, get, gets in a fight with him. Yeah. Um, it was very easy to be triggered. So easy to be triggered. Um, and only alcoholics really understand that, I think. Very, very easy, but you know, it's, it's something that happens to a lot of us. So, well, it's so foreign because we're so accustomed to the instantaneous relief of whatever. 
cutting, drinking, using, sex, gambling, food, because we know it works. And right. to, to think, okay, I'm going to be very spiritual right now. Yeah, and I'm going to you know put on this spa music and focus on my breathing. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's so hard to quiet your mind down. And it's a practice. Yeah. Definitely. So somebody points out to you that you're living inauthentically, we'll call it. And you think, okay, this is something I really need to take a look at. How yeah. uh, work through one of the main things I like about the podcast is trying to find out from people what really do you do to combat poor behavior? Even today, like if you recognize something that is unhealthy, what do you do to remedy that? Yeah. I talk to someone else. That's where you start talking where to I a start. mentor. I, yes, um, I think for me there is a there are some steps involved. There's I need to bitch about it first. I have to. I've I've got to get it out to be somebody. Heard. I have to be, be heard. heard. Yeah, I have to be heard, and then I have to talk to someone now about okay, what's my solution, and like what I don't I don't know where I went wrong. And that person usually guides me back to a higher power, you know. And then, my, and then I start to feel like, okay, I need to make real action about this. And action sometimes is just getting quiet and writing about it. Doing nothing is doing action. Doing nothing, doing nothing. Yes, I don't know how to. I, I still struggle to know how to do that. I s- yeah, I mean, just sitting and. And and trying to connect with my intuition, with God, where do I go next? What do I do next? Because the action that is written out is not always right. Like even my recovery, there's, you know, the steps about doing um, this, this, and that. And it's not always the case. Like, it's not, my higher power wants me to be moved by him, and and sometimes that's leave the person alone. Like, that is my way of making amends. Sometimes it's go talk to them and tell them that you re- recognize how, that I recognize how wrong I am, and I recognize how much I've hurt them. Sometimes it's go tell them how I feel about things because they may not know um and at at that point with my family it was a lot easier to apply what I had already been applying to my relationships in recovery you know at that point I'd already gone through a bunch of hey I was wrong hey I was wrong hey I was wrong it it became easy then because it is also a practice because I'm going to I'm going to do something wrong like maybe this afternoon, you know. <laughs> maybe right now. I don't know. <laughs> you know, and so it's like that practice of being able to say I was wrong. And I think it's so important that we don't say and not everybody feels this way, but I heard a speaker tape that um this woman in recovery was saying, you know, you shouldn't say I'm sorry anymore because we're so used to saying that I'm sorry I'm sorry it gets completely sorry diluted. it's diluted I've said it yeah, so pointless. many times 
and I love how she said it in the tape. She said, try to say I was rough. Try, I was rough. I, I was, just doesn't flow off the tongue. I was wrong. <laughs> like, that is hard to say for me. Um, and so being able to then practice that and say that to my brother, that, that was a lot easier. And then the relief I feel after was so obvious, so obvious. So, um, look, I can assure you uh, for having the experience of abused my family for many more years than you did yours, <laughs> it gets to the point where they won't even answer the telephone. Mm. Uh, yes. And they don't care what you say, not even a little, not yeah. even a little. They only care about what you do. Right. Action is king. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so, yeah. I mean, that's a whole other thing, too. What do you do when you can't make amends, when you can't make it right? You do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, uh, the only person in my life that really can't make any additional amends to be my father because he's dead. But, I mean, he, you know, he didn't. I was sober when he died, so that. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm good on that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have anything else sure, to do add. Do we need to talk? Or? Yeah. No, I, I, I smoothed that over pretty good. Good. Yeah, I mean, he's but it wasn't because I went to him and was like, "I'm so sorry." Yeah, because no, I went to him it. about ten thousand times. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's 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 all about action. It's all about action. Give me some money. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, carry on, carry on. So, I'll just say my life now is so different than I ever thought it could be. I I. Definitely didn't think that I was a smart person. I thought I was very dumb. That was kind of the core of everything. I'm like, well, I can get plastic surgery to be prettier, but I can't fix my brain being stupid. Um, and I'm in college in an MBA program now. Ooh, I make yeah. really good grades somehow because apparently you don't have to be that smart. You just have to do the shit they tell you to do. <laughs> so I've, I've been, you know, really loving school. When I used to hate it, I used to feel so stupid all the time. I used to hide my grades from my parents, my boyfriend, like didn't want anybody to know um, that I was failing. And I almost did fail out of high school. Thankfully got, you know, through that. But um, I'm able to show up for my job now. What do you and do? I'm a, an office manager at Gillibrew Psychological. And then I peer support specialist at an adolescent IOP. Oh, great. So I, I get to meet with kids, too. Yeah. And it's not always, you know. Tell everybody what a peer support specialist is. Yes. So peer support specialists are basically um, an advocate for the child. And you can be an advocate for a child, a caregiver, an adult. You can look into DMH and all of their different... Not to be confused with DMT. Department of Mental Health okay, website. We yes, they have their own tab. It's a fairly new service that uh, mental health has now, and it functions kind of as a bridge to make sure that the individual is getting the services they need, that they're feeling heard, that they know that they're not alone um, You're like a paid sponsor. There well, you go. Yeah, like a liaison of yeah. some sort. 
Yes, except it's not 12 steps at all. So that is left completely out of it. It's based on experience only. Life coaching. In a way, yes. Excellent. Yes. Yep. And so I get to talk to kids that were like me going through outpatient program and um, relate that this is difficult to go through as a child. And I'm really passionate about children specifically, teens specifically, going through self-harm, addiction, um, anxiety, depression, because I fully believe it's a gift that I had those issues as a child. I think now it makes everything else easy. Yeah, you're uniquely qualified to help yeah. others with those exact issues now, which is mm-hmm. something that you can't buy. Yeah. You just have to experience that. So yes. One of the main motivators for having the podcast was this ability to turn our, my shenanigans into something profitable for the next person. You know, that the more people that are real honest about the mistakes they made and how they got out of the, you know, shenanigans. And it seems like that's what you're doing found a calling there so yeah there's no doubt about that mba and a peer support specialist you can start a kick-ass girl the sky is the limit sky is the limit limit. all right so what else is it like today what do you what do you do for fun what's what's life like i know you're busy you're super busy what what is what what does someone that's struggling with alcohol and, and and drugs what do they have to look forward to anything i want i Got to do um, a yoga teacher training, and so I'm a yoga teacher now. That's cool. And I love that because it is the only physical exercise that doesn't have to be physical if you don't want it to be. It's um, when I first got sober, I tried to go to yoga class and I panicked. I called my, I called somebody and I was like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't focus. I can't breathe. I can't. It's too quiet in here. She's like, just lay down. Just lay down and breathe and relax. Like, you don't, you know. We're not used to that. Yeah, I'm like, wait, (laughs) so I don't have to do what she says? And and she's like, no, like, you're doing yoga. She's just guiding you. And so I teach my classes that way. I I don't, you know, want anyone to go into a pose they're not comfortable with or do something they're not comfortable with. And I also go to boot camp and, you know, work out. And I do what they say for the most part. But but yoga is different. It's just this time where I really get to tune into my body. And sometimes I have headaches, and I'm like, well, why do I? It's because I'm not drinking enough water. Sometimes I am so depleted, I just have to do more stretching than holding poses. And it's such a nice avenue to tune in better. Because I'm not one of those that can just sit here with my back straight. I always have terrible posture, which... You know, I, I can't, like, I need to pick, I need to work on that. It's weird because I've done ballet where I t- and I do yoga, but I have terrible posture all the time. And um, it's just one of those, it's, it's some place where I get to really tune in on how my body is being affected by my thoughts and my actions. And um, I, I can't just meditate on my own. I can't sit here up straight and close my eyes and completely connect all the time. I've gotten better at that, and I'm able to sometimes, but matching breath to movement and just tuning my brain off, that is still meditation for me. And I do believe anything could be meditation if done mindfully. Sure. Um, that, you know, 
when I tell people that they should start meditating, like that's a it opens usually a big conversation. It's like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean that's I go get that app. Yeah, I mean it's all of that was absolutely foreign to me, and I was just so used to chaos and uh, just a, a warped speed of how things were going and going in a very terrible direction. That I could meditate with a bong. Yeah, it was a lot more effective. <laughs> when when I first experienced peace, you know, when I first got sober, I was it was terrifying to me. Peace was terrifying. Yes. And today I absolutely love. Yes. I do like a little bit of chaos sometimes. Yeah, I'm so with you on that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you know, go fast every once in a while. Yes. Um, yeah. All right, cool. Um, all right, so basically, and also you have these layers that you've created with your recovery that allows you to, you know, I think I heard you talking about it at, at some point that you've kind of created these different layers um, within the recovery. So it's, you know, do you still do you have thoughts of you know going back out or um, what what happens when you have a thought like that do you you automatically go into default mode which is you know well what does that look like for you what do you do yeah. when, when something pops in your head like that so I'm I'm grateful I don't have many thoughts about drinking anymore I think just because I'm so in the middle of recovery now I mean I don't count it at work. It doesn't really count for me, but outside of that, you know, I'm, I've got a lot of, all my friends are in recovery. Um, it's, you know, majority of the social things I do are for recovery. My family is in recovery as well. Um, that's just a bonus, you know. I've, I've got a star by every name in my contacts list that's in recovery, and majority are stars. Um, and so I don't, have a whole lot of, you know, planning to drink or anything, but I have that thought that comes up when I'm just watching TV and, you know, they're at a bar. I'm like, I'm going to try that drink, you know, or like, why couldn't I just do that? That comes up, but it's kind of like a, you know, it's just a, a random thought that in my head. When I really want to drink, it's usually following a resentment that I haven't fixed Okay. Not the word. Not the <laughs> word. Uh, healed from yeah, or yeah, in yeah. the process of healing from. It's usually when I'm super in my will. Um, I do get really busy now with work and with school. And so I can easily put recovery by the wayside. If I'm at night deciding, like, what do I want to do? Do I want to go to a meeting or work? Like, work seems like the more obvious answer sometimes and that's when I get really sick and that's you know usually the thoughts of drinking come after some time not doing the program not showing up for commitments not you know um, all of that I just thankfully I have people that call me when you know if I if I didn't do anything for my recovery <coughs> I'd be having to dodge a lot of people and a lot of things on my calendar even you know I'm, I'm so it's a lot harder for me to get out and I I also believe in insurance I believe that you know doing a lot of recovery and kind of fueling up on that insurance is helpful for me because then I can go a little bit longer not doing as many recovery things and I'm I'm still I mean I'm not saying I'm great I'm just okay a little bit more insulated it's definitely 
quality, not quantity, because yeah, I mean there are lots of people that go to go go to meetings every day and get high every day. I was one yes. of those people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so well, that's yeah. good. You've got that insurance now, and look, I don't. We could talk for six more hours, but I know you've got things to do. I don't want to take up too much of your time, and we've we've talked for an hour already. It seems like we've been talking for ten minutes, but. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, again, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. Um, you know, we're we're we are um, we are supporters of Sarah 100%. And I personally, uh, I'm I'm very excited to see what the world of Sarah is going to create um, in the future. I just I have this weird feeling that you're going to do some pretty incredible things. So. Um, thank you for giving up your time today. Thank you for coming and talking to us. It sounds and, like uh, you're doing some incredible things. Yeah, you you are now. Thank There's you. no doubt I'm about sure that. I'm sure those families are appreciative. Yeah, absolutely. And, and 100% sincere with uh, today with what we have to say. So thank you for thank you for that. So all right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. We'll see you next Sunday. We're out. Even You're this way. You'll, you'll lean over here and start talking. Wow. Okay.